0: With a piece in my hand and bloodshot eyes I walked to the water for a last goodbye He begged so much, it clouded my mind One thing's clear, the man's gotta die Might makes right, so he said When he healed all the keys over our head I lived in that grip and now he will learn At the end with the tables turned Lord forgive me Me oh down the river where the kids can't find By the river bank Caught a boat shaft Took off like a hurricane With spotlights Dogs hit the whole nine yards of breathing down my neck And breathing hard Two weeks in a wild chase Across the highways Mountains over seven states Found a man at the harbor Said that he could take me across the ocean somewhere far away Lord forgive me me oh. Jumping off the list But not before I can't to the chest Now there's blood and water Filling up my lungs Blood and water Filling up my lungs My heart is beating like a fading drum Lord forgive me Here I come it Take me
1: I was finally able to pin him down. Um, I had to track him down. I actually had to send out a van uh, with a couple of my buddies and some hoods, scooped him up off the street corner while I was waiting for the bus, brought him in here, and we finally got him backstage. Uh, not a true story, but that's I'm gonna what I'm going to go with either way. So uh, without further ado, let me bring Mr. Dooner on. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Hang on.
2: You DM'd me on Twitter because as you're mentioning, it's hard to nail down. I've just got a new like electric guitar, and I was just about to start practicing it. 'Cause this wasn't on my calendar. So then you slapped me and it was I mean you uh dm me and it was it was it was perfect. I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, because I, I actually would it was funny because um we had this schedule for last week and uh, because we're both in trucking, neither of us remember the holiday because holidays don't exist when you're in trucking. So we're like, Hey, there's a holiday here, when we do it for next week and I just thought you you know changed it on your calendar. So and I'm like, Hey,
2: um <laughs> You ready, bro? Because <laughs> you're not you're like oh crap. I've been getting better about that. I used to like never take the holidays. I would work straight through, and then it would be like the end of the year, and they'd be like, "You gotta, you gotta leave. You gotta go away for a couple weeks." Um, I've been getting better about owning that time, though, because my kids are getting. I got like five and a seven year old, and yeah. I got the wife, so gotta be a little bit better about the holidays. So I took my Memorial Day this year.
1: Good, good. I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. So I'm like, cool, let's reschedule. Because I almost thought you were CGI. I, I really did for a little bit. And I was going to have to call Freight Waves. And I'm like, dude, I'm on to you guys. So if anybody doesn't know, why don't you just jump in here and kind of introduce yourself a little bit?
2: Yeah, hey, I'm Duner. I'm a uh, producer, show host, and uh, site builder for Freight Waves. I've been with them for about three years now. I do a show called What the Truck. I run a site called BackTheTruckUp.com, which is a freight culture site. We actually launched that about a month ago. Uh, it's great. We hired three truckers to be on staff there and they're, um, you know, Freightways is kind of C-suite top down. This is this is driver up. So I'm having drivers cover the stories, look at the stories, write op eds on the site and translate the freight world through the eyes of uh, of that community instead of just sort of the, the corporate community that Freightways keys in a little bit more on.
1: Yeah, because you actually did because that was your creation, right? That was basically what you wanted to kind of bring to, to the table.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, Craig Fuller, he he mentioned to me about expanding and how we could do uh, a new site and how it kind of would spin off of what I was already doing with what the truck. And um it's an idea I already had. Like my style's a lot different than what happens on freight waves. So, but the show does really well on freight waves and it's really well known. But um, I too much of my stench maybe would get on everything if I if I expanded within freightways. Plus, like they there's they have so much coverage and it was getting really crowded on that site so it was great to just sort of launch this new site that has a very strong particular point of view and focus
1: yeah so you have actually um an interesting story um you are are you originally from boston correct yeah and then you rolled out to california Mm -hmm. and um because you were in music right that's what you're looking to do
2: (sighs) yeah I, i like i you know, I grew up on music, I love music, and then I went to, my first year of college was in Vermont, Bennington College, and it was like really small schools, 200 people. But the one cool thing they had there was they had you go, you had to go do an internship in the field you wanted to be in. So I wanted to be in music, so I did it out for an independent record label in California, and when I was out there, I heard of the school called CalArts, and I transferred, and I ended up at CalArts, and I was there for a couple years, and then I dropped out because I got a job with the record label. And um, yeah, that's the early part of my story.
1: Yeah. So then was that like culture shock? Because my wife's from California, right? And I remember driving truck and heading out there. And to her, what was normal? I'm like, this is like, I'm from Buffalo, New York. So I was like, this is culture shock. What, what? Because she was San Francisco area. Um, So what was your first thoughts rolling out there?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I was immediately trying to get into the rock scene and everything. So it wasn't culture shock. It was sort of like finding exactly what I was I was looking for you know I, I mean California's like any place right I mean you can get in with any community that that you sort of want to or you can do nothing and be miserable or you know right it, there, there's there's plenty of like good people there it was it was a cool scene more of a like a younger scene I it was hard living I ended up with enough problems out of that so I'm glad to not be in that world anymore but it was a fun time to be like in your uh your early 20s I the, the big shock was like the culture shock was on payment in the music industry because you don't make much. And um, this was shortly after like Napster and uh, LimeWire and P2P sharing was happening. So the record industry really didn't know what to do in 2002. And they were just firing people left and right and bleeding money. So it wasn't like necessarily the best place to be, but it was a it was a very fun time in the early 20s. Yes.
1: Yeah, so what were you doing? You, were you uh, How are you making money then? Were you just rocking it at? at bars and concert stuff or what were you kind of doing
2: no i worked i worked for a record label my job was in a and r so i was uh, basically a talent scout i'd go out and see shows and sign bands to uh our label and uh onto compilations and stuff i always get this question who's the most famous person that you that was on there uh the first track the first track that i think zoltan bathory from five finger death punch ever made a penny on was due to me over at uh, Cleopatra Records in Hollywood. So glad to see you're doing well over there, Zoltan. You and the gang,
1: and, and but, they were um, first, first th- person was probably. And they mention you all the time.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, I, it, he has one funny story. I, I don't know if I'll tell it. It had to do with the ATM, and um, I'll leave it at that. But <laughs> no, it was a good time. I think, like, the, the, yeah, the only hard part was like the culture shock, just become an adult. You know, like leaving college and trying to like, I don't know, pay rent and like pay for a car and keep up the lifestyle of working in the music industry. So that was like, that was the biggest challenge, but it was, it was a good time. But eventually um, that time kind of ran out and I had an opportunity to move back to to Boston, which was funny because my family had all, like my parents, my sister, they'd all moved out to California. They followed me there. And then I pulled like an old switcheroo and I just moved back to to Boston because a buddy of mine, he had a room open in his apartment. And I miss Boston. Like I, my lease was up my car. I was mm. so sick of driving in LA. Uh, I just wanted to like live in the city and take the tea everywhere and get a job off the tea, And that was my goal. And uh, I thought that um, they made like rock band harmonics was out there. This was 2005. And I was like, awesome. I will immediately get a job with like rock band. Like I didn't, I I don't know why I thought this, but whatever I got out there. I didn't get a job with them. And then like after three or four months, I ran out of money. So I called my dad. I was like, "Uh, you got like $500. And he was like, no, you got to get a job. He's like, by the way, you're about to turn 26 and you're going to be off my health insurance anyway. And I hadn't really thought about that because I'd never like really like yeah. I, I worked when I was in college. I worked when I got out. And this was like the first time I moved not that worked for like three months. Um, so he said, uh, but I can help you out. I know a guy over at FedEx Trade Network, Scott Bob Keneally. So I went down there, I did the interview and it was like twenty thousand dollars a year. But, you know, my rent was only five hundred bucks a month. So I took it and that's how I ended up in this uh, this miserable world of freight.
1: <laughs> month. So then you roll into, into bro, and you were actually ended up being a broker, right? Or as an agent? Uh,
2: well, you know, so what I was doing was uh, initially when I first started, there, uh, this is such a freight thing. FedEx Trade Networks had just landed the Reebok Adidas account. So what do they do? Hire people off the street who don't know fuck all about what they're doing and give them that account. So, like, the second day I'm there, I'm, uh, I'm already clearing like customs entries, air freight custom entries for. For Reebok, and that's what I initially did was ocean and and air freight, and I would deal with uh, that whole world. So what that introduced me to though was international shipping, invoices, uh, the regulatory side, the trucking side through dispatching, and it was it was fun. But what the thing is at FedEx when I was there, I I was looking around me, and um, in the Boston market at this time, like I was 26, the next closest person my age in that company at that time was like 38 years old, and they would like the people who worked there they would complain all the time, and I'm like. The last thing I want to do is be here 10 years from now with the same exact job, you know, getting 1% raises every year and being, you know, I, I, I don't, it was like the ghost of Christmas future or something it was just like showing me like, if you don't make some moves, you you like, this is how you get stuck. So I didn't want to get stuck, but I also knew there was so much going on in freight that nobody like the, to learn and to grow. So I started putting myself out there. I got into duty drawback, which was really cool. And then I got into... Uh, the fish scene in Boston, dealing with imports and airports and trucking on that side. And then I got a great education with this company called uh, Aborn and Company, where they did trucking optimization, truckload optimization. They were like a 4PL. So you got yeah. to see all the like messed up RF RFPs people set in, and the of data and all the modes and stuff. But yeah, it was uh, it, it was a cool journey to uh, to learn all those different places.
1: Yeah. And I, what I, one of the other things I wanted to talk about, which I know you spoke a lot about too, is... The fact that uh, and you ran into a, an addiction problem. Yeah. And my, yeah. the reason I want to talk about that is my wife also, um, she started drinking when she was 13 and she was full alcoholic at like 16 um, and she's been straight since 27 years old. So she's been sober for 20 years. Wow. Um, but that is, one of the things that, yeah, that's, it's one of the things that uh, there's a lot of stuff and you have immense drive and immense motivation now. Um, but there's a lot of people that are, are because of everything that's going on, are resorting to different aspects of that. Yeah. And you are a success story big time. And I kind of wanted to dive into that. So I want to talk about like how did that first start?
2: Well, you know, it started through failure at first. Right. Like when I was 15 years old, I was staying at my buddy's house and like my parents had gone to Cape Cod and I drank so much on like the train tracks, I ended up in the hospital um and then and i had kind of been drinking up to that and, you know like back in the day you'd go to the liquor your parents liquor cabinet your friend's parents and you you'd take like a, a bottle of soda and you'd pour like goldschlager and vodka and, and you just mix it would be like a tombstone they'd call it i think and you would mix everything in there you go drink it warm in the woods then throw up on yourself but like it had progressed to the point where i was throwing up on train tracks so actually i didn't drink at all from there on i was able to like just cut myself off just kind of be binary about it and then Then I got to college, though. I was up in Vermont. I'm 18. And um, I was with this girl and she really wanted a bottle of wine. And I was like, I don't drink, but, you know, maybe they'll sell it to me. So I went up in line and they sold it to me. And then um, it was college. There was like sort of the peer pressure I was drinking there. So I started picking up the bottle again. I was good at first, you know, just a couple of beers a night. But very by the second semester, it progressively had gone from like just buying like paps to getting bottles of, of vodka and, you know, um getting really into heavy and then becoming really dependent on it and that lasted up until 2009 when i went into rehab for the first time and my problem that time though was i just went for 90 days like i wanted to get so i was like if i get sober for 90 days i don't have a problem but uh what happened was i went and and i did it and every day was fine that i didn't have to drink it's just okay let's it's less complicated i don't have to think about that um uh, but I was dating this girl, and on, on like the 90th day, she's like, you made it. You want to celebrate? And I should have said no, but I said yes, and we got a bottle of Jack Daniels. And then, you know, within a month, I was off and running again. And I did that all the way up until 2016 when I got fired from um, a sales job in freight. I was uh, uh, It was a bad time. It was a really bad time. My wife was pregnant with um, – she was eight months pregnant with our second kid um i already knew my sales weren't going well and i had and for sales i could work from home and that last three months before i got fired too i mean i was bad i was doing stupid stuff i had this kid on the way so firing me was like the greatest thing this company could have done um i still had about like a month of uh of health insurance and um i didn't use it at first like the like initially when they first gave me my live paycheck i went and bought like a handle of tito's and i was like excited i'm like well, live paycheck great you know i'm gonna go get some vodka and drink this shit away. That's what I should do. I should be able to feel sorry for myself and all that. Um, but I was really just getting sick. Like at that point, like in my alcoholism, it wasn't really getting me that drunk anymore anyway, like it wasn't really enjoyable. And I no idea why I was even doing it. Like I knew I was doing it to deal with like depression, but there had to be such a better way. But if you've been in addiction, there's you, you feel trapped, right? It's very easy to replicate the day that happened before, instead of looking towards like how to make, the future look a lot better. And, um, that was, that was the issue that, that I had. And then I went into this dual diagnosed facility, um, called McLean. It was actually the same place that was in that uh, girl interrupted. And it's like, you know, they do with mental health there and they deal with addiction and I got a good counselor there. And, um, and I also saw some of the people who had been in and out a billion times, especially a lot of the, uh, the opiate ones. I mean, whenever you see an opiate guy get intaked into, a rehab—that's a great way to put the fear of God in your your mind, not to like try heroin or, or get too deep into the oxys, because these guys come in in pain. I mean, they are screaming and they are they they are miserable the next day. They are like horrible. Like hangover is bad. You lay in bed, you feel like it's near death experience. Like, you're, like these guys are like going like this, you know? It's like a horror movie. Um, but one of the things that might one of the things that was said to me by my counselor, I was talking to him and I was like, yeah, you know, I was with this company. I've always wanted to start a podcast. I was going to start a podcast for them for sales. It would be like a good Trojan horse. Instead of being like, can I come to your office to sell you, you know, some trucking or some freight? Well, let's have a conversation. I'll learn a bit about your business. That company didn't think it was a good idea, but this counselor was like, well, why don't you just go ahead and go do it? So I called a buddy up of mine who, um, he expressed some interest in doing it with me. And then I got it all together and I learned how to put a podcast together. And, uh, I did that while, while trying to get sober. And it was like this little baby I was nurturing. And by the ninth episode, my co-host had uh, quit. He he quit. And I almost did too. But then I was like, you know what? I have nothing else going on. Like, I, I have my wife and I have kids, but I have literally nothing else going on. I think it would be really bad for me to quit doing this because what am I going to do instead? My only other hobby is drinking, you know? So I decided to stick with it. And then it was good because three weeks later, this company, Aborn and Company, now they're called Freight Plus – the CEO of the company heard an episode and he said, Hey, I love this conversational approach that you have to freight. Um, would you want to make a podcast for us? And, you know, ghostwrite some blogs. So uh, I got my first paying job, like on that end relatively early on, but it was only like $500 a month. A year later, they hired me on full time, but um, that was my early year of sobriety. And that was like how I built what I was able to build and eventually end up at, at freight waves and, and do what I've done was, uh, that first sort of really painful year of just getting sober, not really making any money, almost going bankrupt, but like sticking with it and realizing that, you know, like recovery at that point was the most important thing. And and podcast family also had to be really important. And uh, it, it worked out, fortunately.
1: Yeah, because that so that first time you actually put yourself in, you actually said, I got to go. And and yeah. you
2: yeah, I knew it was bad, right? I mean, like you know when you're you know when you're fucking up, right? I mean, you know when you're not being good to yourself. You know when you're not being healthy. The hardest part is just like eventually getting to the point that you can get over your own like ego and out of your way to to admit that and seek help and be willing to take on the stigma. And I don't know if like you mentioned your wife. I don't know if she deals with this, but like I do to this day because I've been I've always been very open about sobriety when it's when it's come up. Like it's not like I like tell everyone I meet, but if it comes up, yeah, I'm open and I'll tell people about it and I think it's cool. But initially it was kind of a stigma and um, I initially regretted it. This time I didn't, this time when I went fully sober because I also wanted to hold myself accountable. But also I was able to like save my own life because of a previous boss I had who was open about his experience with alcoholism. And that to me was like, well, if that guy can do it, then I can do it too. And if I can be that for some people, say, hey, you know, he did it and he was able to improve. That's why I'm happy to put myself out there. The only thing that sucks is like the stigma because people like, like coworkers and stuff, a lot of times they'll like they'll feel weird about like inviting you out to like a bar or something like that. They'll think like, I don't know. Like I I could make a great designated driver, guys. Just just invite me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's the one thing. People get kind of weird about it though. Or like they feel like they can't drink in front of you, which is like your problem isn't isn't a problem. It's my, it's my thing and I'm cool and I'm comfortable around and I just keep it binary. Like there, there's no pressure.
1: Yeah, because for me, it's like I never drank, right? Um, and my wife, um, obviously, she did. But wh- I think the biggest thing was her was, like I said, at 13, 14, there's a lot of like, um, back then at least, there's a lot of depression and anxiety. And she had a lot of like panic attacks. So for her to, to deal with that, the, the drinking got her through that. Yeah. Uh, because it, it's one of those things that you don't know what's going on at that age at 15. You just know you don't feel right, right? I don't feel right. This makes me feel at least. I know how this is going to make me feel, (laughs) but I don't know why I'm feeling this way. So she, she would drink it out of her. Right. And then wake up in the morning and feeling unbelievably sick. And it got to the point for her that she just, she couldn't do it. I mean, and she detoxed on the couch for two weeks. She just, she was tired of waking up every single morning, but it's that, I think that's a lot of things that people don't realize. So is that, that why they're doing it right? Why that? Yeah. There and and you know, to finally get to the point where you're like, So, how old were you? were How old when you checked yourself in the first one?
2: The first time I checked in, I was I had just turned 30, yeah.
1: And then, how was I mean, was it just kind of like you just walked in and said, Knock, knock? Uh, I gotta, I mean, how, how no?
2: So, like in Massachusetts, you have, and I don't know if it's everywhere, but it's in Massachusetts, it's this way you have you call your health insurance company up and you, you know, you ask, like what facilities are in network and then they tell you you have to go to the emergency room first because they won't intake a patient unless they've been cleared by a medical facility so you have to go to emergency room and they take you over to wherever you uh, get admitted to and if it's in your insurance network and they have a bed you can go there if you are unlucky and don't have insurance and like can't get to a bed you gotta you gotta wait for like the free places which is a whole other issue of mental health in this country but uh, uh that's kind of how that worked but you made a great point like getting sober is not the answer to everything it's just the start of answering to everything like all the issues and problems that didn't go away but you would sort of like drink them away or or use them to deal with situations now you have to shoulder all that you really have to deal with that and things that like i was dealing with were depression and social anxiety and um the counselor in 2009 his suggestion was to take improv which um i thought was nuts i'm like all right got like social anxiety i don't I don't really feel comfortable talking in front of people. Why would I go do that? Um, but I decided to go do it. Um, There's actually, I had a Groupon. When Groupon was still popular, it was like $30 to go take three months of lessons uh, at the Improv asylum of Boston. So I went down and I did that and I ended up going through their entire like, curriculum. And that was, that was great. And I think that's sort of like what inspired me to this time again, to like take on another project because that really did help with giving me something to do and to not focus on like do negative cycling and all these kind of things that I, i've had to learn skills to not do things that like i would drink drink away before all yeah. those skills that you had to build the one thing that didn't work that well for me that was like i thought aa was terrible and like i know it works for some people so i don't want to talk shit on it but the thing i didn't like that didn't work personally for me was that and it may have been at the time where i was going or maybe i went to the wrong meetings but it was like a lot of like middle-aged or older men who were like really pissed off yeah. really upset with life, and I'm not getting sober to be more pissed off with life. I'm getting, I'm doing it to deal with issues and to make things better. But ultimately, I don't want to stand up there like five years from now and be miserable. I, like I would hope that progress show show in some way. And AI didn't feel like there was like a ton of positive reinforcement. It was just like these miserable bastards who really like to hear themselves speak. And again, these could have just been my meetings, but that was my takeaway.
1: That, and that was hers too, I think, because we've talked a lot about this, you know, and, and there's the same thing that AA might work for some but for a lot of the people that it's one of those things that, that you're just hearing everybody else's issues and if you already can't deal with issues and stress and anxiety as it is, it didn't help her because that was her main thing. Like, she can't deal with stress. So, less than everybody else's, it didn't work well, right? So, for her, that one didn't work. She just got to the point, like I said, where she just had to, to go. But she's I see a lot. You seem to be, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You seem to be somebody that has to be doing something. I gotta be doing something. I gotta, I gotta push myself. I've gotta drive myself. Like um, right brain, left brain. I talk a lot with her. Like right? she's right brain. She's art. You know, she's very artistic. She do you know in regards to crafty and things like that, and and decorating the house and spending my money. It's a skill for her. Um, but but the but it's one of those things that. It seems like you're the same way. You do a lot with the Legos and you you push yourself and it's almost like you've got to be doing something to, to push yourself, to keep that drive. Do you feel that that's kind of what keeps you going now? Is that, is that push?
2: Yeah. You know, I've, I've had uh, for most of my adult life, uh, probably all my adult life or maybe all my life. I've like, I don't know why this didn't get diagnosed sooner. It took until adult to get like ADHD diagnosed for me. Um, when I'm sort of like a, a classic case for it, but like in high school, I went to three different high schools. Like I got good grades, but I got kicked out of two of them for like behavior. I went to four different colleges, you know, like uh, I need to, I need to be engaged with things. I need to, to like what I, I'm working on, but I can get very addicted to to work. I like having things. I need to have things, even like if I'm just relaxing, watching TV and this is to my own detriment. I I hate that I do this, but like I'll put, I'll like spend 45 minutes looking for something to watch on like Netflix or whatever. And the second I put it on I'm like in my I'm like back on Twitter whatever, on my phone anyway like I'm just, like I spend forever just looking for background noise but like if the show is moving too slow like I I have to keep my mind occupied so I re- like video games kind of help with that because you get to move your hands and look at the same time and I just got myself a um an electric guitar I was uh I, we went on this golf trip last week and I have not played I didn't play guitar in a while in in decades so um there was a music store at some of our downtime though and like I was looking at it and I'm like I need a guitar. So I went out over the weekend and I, and I got one. And I'm so happy I did. And, you know, guitars are something that you can easily, you know, might end up in the basement in a month. I don't know. But uh, I've been loving it for the past couple of days because, like, I'm just sitting, I'm learning, and I get to use my hands at the exact same time. And, like, that, I don't know, there's a part of my brain that that just massages. And I think that's what I like about podcasting. Two is there's a lot going on at once, especially when you have like multiple guests and a lot going on on the show. I feel very sort of comfortable in those environments. I I like when things aren't stagnant.
1: Yeah, she's and it's. I I see that a lot. It seems, and the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because I actually know um a couple different people that have that. They're they're on the cusp that other people can see it, but they might not be able to see it yet, right? But they have that drive to be able to do something. And my wife's the same way. It's like comfortable in chaos. Right. <laughs> now she gives herself chaos like you actually give yourself 80 things to do just so you can have this nonstop action. But I, I just saw a lot of that same type of mentality and the fact, you know, now you've driven yourself into podcasting. And I saw your first podcast, the old Mike Mick in the uh, mixer board there, which was probably like a whole total of 100 bucks when you first started. Right. And that's pretty much what you started with.
2: Yeah, when I cuz in 2016 when I uh when I lost that job, I didn't like I was uh, it was freight sales, you know, like I wasn't balling. We had another kid on the way. Uh my wife like did okay, but we didn't have we, we weren't making a, t- a ton of money, so I didn't have much to invest in it. So I got a uh a used laptop off Amazon. It was 250 bucks and um it was the cheapest one that had an SSD and I really wanted an SSD just for anything. And um so I you know, I didn't want a uh, like I Clanky hard drive, and so I found that for two hundred fifty bucks. I got two uh, Chinese microphones off him. They were like twelve dollars each, uh, condenser microphones, and they were absolute awful. But they did the job. And like I, I think it was a Mackie, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a little USB mixer, super cheap stuff. It was less than five hundred dollars investment to just get up and running. And then it, you started
1: talking snacks, snack food.
2: Oh. Okay, so yeah, that happened because uh, so the first show was the shipping pod and we were we were doing that, me and this guy uh, Ryan Dooley, and he had like left the show and I was keeping it going, but at the same time I had just done interviews at uh, DSV and Blue Grace, and both of them told me that I, there, I wouldn't be able to get the job unless I got rid of the podcast. Um, oh, Salvino Del Bean too, and I turned down those offers uh, mm-hmm. kind of pissing my wife off, but like my logic to her was like they were they were also freight sales jobs, and I was like, if I get back into freight, I at least want to be in marketing or back in operations. I don't want to do sales. I had issues in sales. I was okay at it, but like it fed so much into my addiction and enabled my addiction. Just everything about it, I can't do it. Um, and she understood that, so I, I turned those uh I turned those jobs down. But I was like, maybe I need to do like I I didn't want to stop podcasting, so I came up with Snackmasters Inc. and it was me and this guy. I'd never, like, I only knew him from Twitter. And I was just like, but we always, like, DM'd each other about, like, weird snacks we found. So I did that to get some chops and uh, just keep the reps going with Snackmasters, Inc. And what's funny is a lot of production techniques I learned, like, while I was doing that show and developed are, are all used on What the Truck Now. <laughs>
1: really? Yeah. yeah. It, that's amazing. Because, like, for, uh, um, for me, I just started, I well, I started doing... Uh, COVID hit. And I basically started a bunch of drivers were talking about, you know, what's going on, this and this and this. And I'm like, OK, these guys, I need to kind of explain from the broker side what's going on to the trucking side. And I just rolled into that. You know, that was how I rolled in because it's what I knew. Right. So for me, that's kind of how I got started with, my, with everything I got going on. But
2: why why did you want to get started, though? why Like, why did you pick up the mic? Yeah,
1: I think for me, it was the biggest thing is um, I saw a lot of I, at one time. I um I was driving a tractor trailer also and the recession hit back in 2008 and I went broke. I went broke. Like three months behind. I had 11 dollars in the bank account. I actually had was doing the last uh, run with my truck and my truck broke down a little hose and I couldn't even afford to buy the hose. Another driver driver bought me that uh, bought me the hose I needed to get back. And I knew what it was like. And then I started with my brokerage and I rebuilt my company with my brokerage at that point. Like I was driving a truck and my wife was an agent. And I basically said, look, we got to pick one. We can't pick them both. And I gave up the truck and I started being an agent. So I knew what it was like when I saw all these drivers, basically, um, Saying they were going broke and they were losing their truck and they were losing this and I knew I've been there. Right. I live that. Um, And there was nothing that crushed me more than to look my wife in the eyes and and have her say, "Uh, how are we going to live? How are we going to make money? And crushing blow to me and I said that's never going to happen again so my biggest thing was I saw that and I started going out there and saying, okay guys here's what's going on here's how you know what you can do get all you know this and, and explain to them you know freight was dropping uh, but there was other freight out there and trying to explain to them what was going on so the only way for me to be able to communicate with them and get this out there was to jump on YouTube and start start doing this
2: and explain- everything everything you said right there too everything you said right there is like so earlier this year, Craig Fuller, our CEO, he put out this call on the market that it, it was going to get really bad. And this was like back in March. And he took a lot of heat for it. We took a lot of heat for it. Be like, we're looking at this lagging data and it's saying this. The reason why we, would, we made that call is we saw where diesel was going and we saw where spot rates are going. And we have been in this industry for a long time. We know what happens to drivers, especially independent owner operators when that happens. So yeah, if a market, if a condition like that happens in the market, we're going to tell drivers, and you know who hasn't given us telling? He's not drivers. You know what drivers have said to us? Thanks. I was going to put a big note on a truck this year. I was going to get five more trucks for my fleet. And you know what? I saw your call, and I decided I'm going to wait a few months and see if they're right. And thank God I did, because now if you look at the market, a ton of equipment's getting dumped on there too. And if you look at diesel rates, like it's not just the dropping spot market rates. You know, two dollars, whatever. The one that you can't turn your wheels without paying for fuel, and that's just unavoidable when you're like i was just driving down to from tennessee to virginia to go to some tournament last week every single diesel place i passed was like 575 and up and who even knows what it's going to be this week some place in california like in mendocino i saw a place that was like 950
1: yeah and and that's why i think that was the biggest thing like i i didn't have the fuel problems but for me starting this was you know for you it, it helps you deal with your your anxieties and things like that and to me It was, uh, I'm people, I always say people do things for three reasons, money, fame, power. That's why people do things, right? If you think about why you do what you do, it's one of those I'm fame, right? So not, and that's, I want to be famous, but it's like, I know what it's like to be, to, to be broke. Right. And I wanted to jump out and say, look, let me. Let me explain to you what's going on behind the curtain. Let me explain to you what's going on. Let me tell you explain what brokers, let me tell you what brokers hate. Let me tell you communication. You know, if you tell a broker, I'll call you, you know, and you start calling them and saying, hey, I'm loaded, I'm empty, I'm this, dude, they're gonna call you back. So for me, it was just seeing that that had starting to happen and getting my own drivers calling me and stuff like this, that it's like it was like you guys did. Now, does everybody want to hear what I have to say? No. <laughs> no. But when it comes down to it, I've been in the industry for over 20 years and it's how I look at everything that if I can come out there and jump out there and help people with this or, or do what I do, in my opinion, that, that's why I started it. Right. It, it, it's it's one of those things that there's not there wasn't a lot of people doing it that we're just coming out from the broker side and explaining to drivers, okay, that's not how it works. Let me explain how it works. And I thought I could be that because I speak trucker. I've been a truck driver. I've been a carrier. I've been a broker. You know, I, I still have my CDL. And that was what I thought I could contribute by, by, you know, coming forward and doing my show.
2: Well, you're probably looking around like I did in 2016 when I started my first shipping podcast, uh, I was looking around and the only podcast that really exists that covered the space were, they sound like webinars. It was like stripped audio from webinars. There's no like care thought put into like sound quality. And it sounded like staged, obviously like some corporate sponsored thing. And it wasn't just really people talking about the industry who've worked in the industry. So that was like my initial take is like, well, we're actually just going to have people from the industry. Right. And it doesn't all have to be C-suite. It's going to be people who actually do the work and and know what's going to happen. I mean, that's evolved through multiple iterations, but kind of like you, I just looked around and there was nothing there. So it seemed like it would be pretty easy to start fitting into that market and doing better than at least what currently existed.
1: Yeah. I think for, for me, at least for us, it's like, and that's when I started to jump in, like doing the news and, and covering my aspect of, you know uh, you know, the globe and and geopolitics and stuff is because I look at everything from like a top-down view, like a, like a broker view, that logistics view rather than the driver out the windshield type view. So because I look at the big picture, I try to bring that down and I'm, I do as much as I can, like you do to break things down to so that everybody can understand them. Right. I want to take this complicated thing and make sure that this can be broken down to the simplest format so this person can understand. And, and that's why, like I said, when I saw it, with, you know, it was funny because I actually got on your show um, just because I tweeted somebody tweeted something to you of a truck that was tipped over in there. Right. in support, remember, and I'm like, hey, if I answer this right, can I get on the show? Um, and I actually ended up being on the show because I got it right. But it's it's just that that view of things that it's just you got to think outside the box. And I think that's a lot what you do. Like, how does that pro- like when you first went to, to Freight Waves to present this? I, I know you saw that, but it was not an easy sell. Like, it's that thinking outside the box. Take me through that process that you kind of saw it and said, OK, I want to do this. Here's why. And, yeah.
2: Well, you know, it's funny because initially, like the first the first paid show that I did was for a and company is called uh, consulting logistics and that like I had a color in between the lines a lot. I was their marketing director and like things had to you know kind of be a certain way, but I was getting paid to podcast. So no, no complaints out of that. But I've always sort of used what I learned scouting bands to scout guests. And I look for conversations that are trending. People are putting themselves in conversations. People who are doing a good job promoting themselves. People who might make a good... There's a variety of reasons. People, someone's either knowledgeable, they're, they'll help move the numbers because they're good at promoting, right? Or I just want to talk to them. Or because they're they're part of the community and they answer a question really well. And also they're trying to build their their own brand. So all of those are sort of great avenues. But for, And I remember back to this, because back when I was trying to pitch it all, like I had that, but I kind of lucked out because I asked Craig, they were... I, I saw online that like I, when I was doing all these ghost written blogs for a and company, um, I would do these news write-ups. And as, as the year progressed, I would see like freight waves come up more and more often in the news. And then I saw their conference that they had and it was like, Oh, this led in blue. And I'm like, that looks pretty badass. Like that would be the next place that I really need to go to plug my microphone in. And then I saw that Craig Fuller, their founder and CEO was trying to, trying to um, promote futures. And I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh, bell goes off and you're that's a target. You know, I mean, it's free In the free world, it's hard to get without paying people. It's hard to get people to go and like help you promote your thing. Which to me was like when I started podcast, I already knew that. So I was like, it'll be easy to get guests because like nobody in this business, especially before we me, like media really put a light on it, was that well known. So if you can get them and you can make them feel good and you can treat them like they're a little bit of like uh, they can they're important. You'll it's pretty easy to get the guests. And uh, that was the philosophy there. So I I interviewed Craig Fuller and then he um. He DM'd me like a week later, and he said, if you ever want a job out in Chattanooga, I have one for you. And um, I already knew. Like, I had to take the job. I, was, I interviewed him with the express purpose of getting that job. He didn't know it. I, the company I was with at the time didn't know it, but I knew I had to get there. I didn't think it would happen so soon, but right. it did. And um, I was like, we got to go to Chattanooga. And it was tough because my wife's a triplet. Uh, her family is all in the Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts area. Yeah. Uh, my parents are from, uh, my parents had moved back there. My sister's out there. Um, so everybody was there and we had these young kids, but at the same time, we knew like my wife and I, we'd almost just gone bankrupt. You know, we'd been through all these different things and she was seeing the traction I was getting through the podcast and she knew too, this was a good destination and Freightways gave a good offer to get me out there. Um, I moved out, we lived in an apartment for like two years cause we didn't know anything about Chattanooga. I'm from, ba- I'm like a masshole I don't know i don't know anything everything's a self to me before i moved here in fact it was, i i love the self now but before i moved here like my east coast bias had like i thought it was just like people in maga hats and rocking chairs with like shotguns like and that was life in the self but it's not like that at all yeah. in fact a lot of it is like anywhere you go it's what you make of it there's certain definitely certain communities you may want to associate in one and ones you don't want to associate with but uh the weather out here is great the uh it's like a subtropical rainforest in the mountains over here in Chattanooga. So it's been yeah. it's been beautiful, and we eventually bought a house here because uh, we liked it so much. And it's it's great. My kid's school is right up the street, so it's it almost feels like we live in a sitcom because we get to like walk the kid to school and pick him up, like the kind of things you see in movies. But like was never part of my life. I'm like that's like the suburban TV show. That's not real. And then I was like at my kid's first play. <laughs> like two it was just surreal i like felt like i was in like a movie or something I mean, Amer- not american beauty but like i was just thinking of movies that had like play scenes and i felt like i was in a movie but it was great man this is life
1: right and that's i think that's one of the other things too i wanted to get you on. because to go from where you could have gone could have been a different road man right a completely different road but y- you came down this route and ended up here and do you ever think to yourself holy crap how did I, how did i pull this off how did i not end up on this road and end up here I mean, is that ever kind of, you're doing great. And that's why, like I said, it's, it's, there's a lot of people that I know that are, are at that road, right? They're at that crossroad and they need to, you know, decisions they make within very soon are going to lead them to either that split.
2: I think, you know, failure is such an important thing. It's such, it's such a great teacher. And I think that failing those first couple of times at sobriety or not taking it seriously enough or not thinking of it as like, look, it's this, basically lifelong binary thing you have to turn that off and you have to be cool with that and um it took going through it a couple times to to get there and and allow this time to stick like when i went in but uh and i think having seen that like i already knew i went through 90 and i was the one who messed it up and like if you can go 90 i could probably go forever so when i went back into it this time it was really with the admission that this is a an actual problem and not like a, a thing you could just put away for 90 days and um but that's like it, it, it. It's been hard though. Like it hasn't seemed quick. You know, it's been a long journey for me to sort of get here, and and my family, and building these things. So I mean, I've seen the brick and, and every piece of mortar that has had to go onto it to build that like wall. So no, like I I I think I always have to I have to remember too. Like I you have to look down. They say don't look down, but I always look down because I like you just said I know how far i'd have to climb back up to to get where i am and, and what that could could do professionally uh for family and also mentally as well so it's i mean you have to accept that it's life or death in in a lot of ways
1: you think i may mean, ask this do you think it's for you it doesn't seem as much as a crutch as a motivation to push yourself to push yourself to 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 to, to, do, to be successful now you kind of see it like that
2: i yeah you, i'm scared to death of like falling like back into that, right? And getting and getting into that state of mind because that that human being is in me somewhere. It was here before. So I gotta keep this one as the one who's in charge of everything, right? You gotta keep like the the you who's a little bit more responsible, who knows how to say no to uh, you know, what was that, your id or whatever? What is it? The id, your super id at the back of your head telling you to do dumb shit. You gotta tell that to say no. And to do that, you know, you like you said, you, you can't just look out the windshield. If you just look out the windshield, you're 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 not really seeing right. the ramifications of what that drink today means for the end of the week or at the end of the month. And uh, now I really keep that perspective because I'm always looking to grow what we're building too. And that's sort of the motivator is yeah. um, it's been helpful working at like a startup that's growing really fast and being on a show and, and Freightways TV that's been able to grow very fast is you constantly seeing things change in front of you and building up. So you don't become still water. And I think that's what I have to, if something becomes too routine or or too boring, that's where like, I have to mix it up or, or make some good decisions to stay, to stay moving forward. I know I have to have that care. Yeah. My wife, it's one
1: of those things. I don't know if it's true, but it's like sharks always have to keep moving or they'll die. Right. That's kind of how my wife, my wife's the same way. It's like, she can't drink again. It's just, she knows she can't, right. It's one. And it's going to be like endless. So for her, it's that keep moving, keep motivated, try to, you know, do other things. Now she's on other medications because of, you know, some other issues she has, but those are prescribed. So it's one of those that it's, it's just seems that, and a lot of the stuff that you're doing is because of the drive you have, like you truly are driven to be better every day.
2: Yeah. You you (laughs) have, like, you have to be right. Like, and I know there's not everyone. I know that like I there's, there's, you know, I've worked with people who come in and they, it's nine to five doing the show and all of that for them. And I think they just see it as like, this is like something they do for now. And then they're going to move on to something else where I see this holistically as uh, I'm building a brand, I'm building a show that yeah, it's for freightways, but it could also be, you know, portable as well. I'm, I'm doing this for them, but I'm also doing it for me and for my family. And when you look at it really like that, like it's not necessarily some company that builds you. You have to build yourself first. You have to build all that value yourself and all that self- belief that that's a huge driver as as well
1: yeah because that's how i mean that's how i am too it's like okay what can i do next what can i do next what can i do next and it's that we don't i say this all the time there seems to be there's not as many of those type of personalities right that that there's a lot of them that'll follow but there's not a lot of them that will and when you start to see someone that has that those personalities it gives incentives for others to say you know what Uh, i want to try this i want to try that i want to try this and like you said, it just, you're podcasting now. I mean, how many times a week are you podcasting? I mean, I know you're doing, not with Freight Waves, with the, What the Truck, but just your podcasting.
2: Uh, Just three. I mean, I'm doing it three times a week, but I also do a newsletter, and I'm running the, the back end of the uh, com team. So that's been keeping me really busy. So I'm just trying to keep that all all manageable. I'm thinking about launching, like, my, my own show at uh, in a little bit. I don't have a ton of details on that. But at the moment, I mean, what the truck's just been doing really well so uh we've we've kind of been doubling down on that with the newsletter and stuff and of course with backthetruckup.com um and i've tried to be like just more like i could podcast nonstop, but then i the one thing that i know that is really important is also the promotion and getting that stuff out there and uh i have always done that kind of for myself we have you know i i freightways will maybe put out like a clip of the show yeah like i'll be out there putting out like 10 clips and and doing this and going to all the different groups and and because that's the job that like this part is so this is easy. I'm just talking. You're just talking. We're just talking to each other. That's not hard. What's hard is booking guests, managing guests that uh, like like me, who could be a flake. and doesn't even show up or could be just CGI. Right. Dealing with the uh, the pre-production, the post-production, dealing with the stress of growing shows like that's the that's the actual job. Yeah. This isn't the job. I mean, this this is just whatever.
1: And that's the funniest part, too. People are like, like I'm I'm starting to bring in a lot of, you know, getting a lot of interviews and stuff like that. But people just think, oh, all you do is talk. No, I wish. I wish. You know what I mean? It's like, it, to try to make this up, it's the software, it's this, it's that. Um, And, you know, get this done. And then bring in, like you said, bring in the guests. Because you're even looking to, you, you mentioned wanting to interview just anybody. Like, because you're a very curious person, too. So you're like, I have questions. Uh, and you just want to start interviewing non-trucking people. Also, Yeah,
2: you know, uh, well, we, I always do. You know, we have. Like, I usually book about four guests a show, and uh, I think in that I get bored. I kind of get bored talking about, like, how, you know, diesel yeah. sucks, the market sucks. Like, that. after you've already done that show, like, what are you going to do the next two shows that week? You could keep repeating yourself, but it's right. more fun to just talk to other people and get other people's perspectives in the the industry and from outside the industry, too, because, I mean, like, a lot of the things that you learn outside the walls of freight can be applicable to being uh, either good in freight or just good at life. Because, like, right. like I, I understand a lot of people like me are very dedicated to this world, like the world of freight. It's very mentally consuming. And we don't have, like, many other like-minded people outside, like, the four walls of our building and right. our own little, like, social networks to really think about and talk about and address all these things that are going on in the uh, in the freight world. So I always wanted to make sort of a, a platform for, for that. The one thing that makes it sort of hard is there's there's always sort of topics that I like to kind of stay away from, which is, you know the hard politics in freight it would it's so easy to go too far into one side or pander to another side and i've seen people who've done that and what happens is their show or their site or their product it turns into like a political show or a political very quickly because those audiences can come in droves like you can hack the system that way but you're going to completely change like the identity of what you're trying to accomplish um Which I think ultimately, too, like, one of the things we try to do in a variety show, like, what the truck is, bring people together. So I think just good winning people with, like, hot button, uh, like, just straight down the line political things that are guaranteed to incense someone. Like, I try to stay off that kind of stuff. But the rest of the stuff in the world, man, is complicated stuff. And we have to address it. We have to address that. And at times on a show that we joke around a lot, like, what the truck, it could be tough. Especially lately where, like, every day you wake up and there's, you know, some big shooting or, like, over the weekend in uh, Chittagong over in Bangladesh, there's a port that blew up and killed 50 people. Right. So you get a lead off a show with, with stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it changes your, your, your tone of it. You have to be a little bit more empathetic to what, uh to what's going on in the world, but you know, we're all adults here too. And we know it's, it's tough times when we got to talk about this shit.
1: Yeah. It's a little bit of sales. I mean, like I said, there's times that I bring out, you know, I, I look to bring on somebody that's like, Hey, uh, I'll listen to that person. I take an interesting point. I want to ask him about that. But And then you get some people that'll get upset and then some people be like, oh, this is great. And it's trying to play that, you know, that middle thing. But at some point it's just like, well, eh, I got to do this. (laughs) You know what I mean? mean, You might not like it, but this should be heard. Somebody should hear this interview. And that's kind of how I look at it. It's like somebody should hear this. This person has something to say. I think this is important that like it or not, they should hear this. And then sometimes not things that I like, but still it should be heard. And I, I think that's another aspect that, you know, that you guys bring is that, they should be heard. We need to talk about it. Right. And, and, and sometimes it's a a lighter area, you know what I mean? Or you can bring a little bit of a lighter area to it, but it's still a tough, this is, it's tough to do this sometimes, to bring the right people on at the right time and have that right conversation. So it doesn't go off the rails. And that's something that I think a lot of people also don't look at is that keeping it on the rails aspect of this um, with with guests that come on. So where are you kind of looking to go? past this like what if you had the ultimate setup right now what would that be
2: i mean right now we're trying to build the the, the 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 corporate umbrella that is freight waves into the most powerful machine it can be and what the truck into the most powerful thing and like my focus right now is on back the uh, but these i mean these are these are great foundations right so i am not looking that much further than these i mean the the only really other thing i'm sort of focusing on is uh some of the outside stuff work that I get offered, which is um getting a little bit deeper into that stuff, which some of it can be back in production, some of it can be on camera stuff. and uh, so that's a little bit what I've been doing is just some outside private label kind of stuff that i that that I can do and helping build the brand. And there's a project that I'm bringing my wife in on too, which is which sounds really cool. Um, do it uh, do some videos with some people, so that that'll be interesting. Uh,
1: do you like doing audio? Or video better? Like, do you be, like being on the video better, or do you like just doing an audio-type podcast better?
2: You know, so I think there's advantages to both. Like, just talking-wise, I really like audio only, because I feel like in the audio medium, you have a lot more leeway to, to, to go long, right? And to go a little bit more broad because the way people interact with audio podcasts, like you throw your ear in, you go to the grocery store, or you go for a drive or you're walking the dog. You're sort of like, you're half listening. Like, you know, how I do to every podcast. You don't yeah. even finish every, like I, there's like, I've never finished. I, I finished like maybe two Joe Rogan podcasts, <laughs> but I listened to like a ton of them, but they're all like, I get 45 minutes or an hour and 19 minutes or, you know, two hours into this one or 15 minutes into this. But like th- as a producer, I don't really care about that stuff. I think conversations are great, but then at the same time, I like the video because Uh, visual visual is powerful and I can bring in all these different clips and I can bring in, uh, I can show people's locations and I can bring a different visceral element and bring people into it that way. And I think the challenge with a show like what the truck, which is on both is remembering that your audience can't see you. So even though you're on camera and even though you're showing clips, you have to speak in a sense that you're on an audio show when you're doing it in that kind of format.
1: Right. So that's, that's actually a good point. So and I think a lot of times, like I said with with, with this, is that it, it, as a YouTube platform, you're looking for for that video. But when you want to do something like that long format, it kind of leans towards a podcast. Download it, listen to it, and let the people go with it. So yeah, a lot of your you get a lot of down on your uh, a lot of downloads off of your podcast, probably that right because you do longer shows.
2: Yeah, the audio one does. The audio uh, one—I mean, the video one does does well, but the audio one does great. I mean, it's uh, in top twenty business news podcast chart on uh, Apple Podcasts, so it's done really good. And uh, it's gotten as high as eleven before. Sometimes it falls down to like seventy and goes to fifty, but we've managed to get it up there pretty high in those rankings. And you know, a lot of people in logistics I've noticed they'll like they'll have like a LinkedIn show and call it a podcast, but like to (laughs) me, a podcast in order to call yourself a podcast, you have to be available on a podcast player. Like that, this is like a video cast or something else. But it's not on a podcast player. Um, and I've always respected and loved the medium of podcasting, so I've always sort of felt strongly about that. And there's there's other producers I've met, and other hosts that don't care about the audio elements, and their downloads shut. They don't they don't get any downloads. They don't get they don't get any ranking. The reason why ranking is important is discovery effing sucks in podcasting. So if you can't get ranked, it's very hard to get ranked. So the hardest part is just getting on the chart in the first place. Because then once you are on the chart, people go to charts can will see you on there, and it moves you up to a new level. And you actually you see that in your downloads, like they you will. Be like, okay, good. We've pushed up, we've hit a new plateau, and then that's a lot easier to sustain once you get there than like getting up there in the first place. The long, long build, and I, I think it comes down to uh really wanting to be a part of that medium. Now, I don't focus on the video side as much because the video, like the Freightways TV time team and the video team, worry about uh worry about that side. I like doing the video though, I like having both, yeah. Because
1: I my my mods would drop. Uh, what is your you've got the podcast, What the Truck, right? Yeah. What's and what's your other podcast?
2: Well, I, you know, I used to do one called Freightways Insiders, which was long form one on one, but I haven't really done that since I moved to back the truck up. We're staying more with that brand. So at the moment, I'm just doing, you know, what the truck three times a week and uh, the newsletter and running the uh, the site and the team.
1: Perfect. Well, that I know my mods have been dropping that in the link just in the in the thing there because they found it on Spotify. Uh, so they've been hooking you up with that. But I, I, I knew I only had an hour here, uh, so I want to keep them wanting more. So. Was there anything else you want to finish off by saying?
2: Uh, If you're thinking about starting a show, for one, I would encourage you, right? Especially using it to overcome addiction or alcoholism, or you're just looking for a way to press forward in life. You need a hobby. You need to be that shark and keep swimming forward. And you also want to meet people you would not really have the opportunity to talk to for a half hour or an hour. It's amazing what it can do for you. And I know a lot of hosts when they start out they find it of silly cuz they're like I'm just me. I, I feel weird like building like a brand around myself or like talking about myself or being like a, a like a, a figure or a pr- I hate using the term influencer. I think it's kind of like I don't know. I, I get a weird image in my head. Um <laughs> but I, I I mean I guess that's the term. I mean, I I'm swimming against the current to say it's not, but then it, I guess that's the term then embrace it. But what's really cool is you can absolutely fundamentally change your life and it will open doors. And I don't just mean um, on a small level. I'm talking about like, if, if you do this, where you do what I'm doing or what Sage is doing, you can get to a point where you are making connections at the highest levels of company. And, um, you know, business can be tough and sometimes you need favors. So having those people in, uh, in the Rolodex is always super helpful. And some of the times you can make these great connections just by having a good conversation with someone. You've already given them something nice which is uh, a little promotion for themselves and someone finally listened to him speak.
1: Absolutely. And I want to thank you for coming on. Cause like I said, my, uh, my goal is to to show that people can come a long way just by changing direction a little bit and just finding something very small to and be, and make it a very big in the end. And, and that's something that you did. So that was what I, the one of the thing I wanted to get out there and hope that people, you know, watch this and, and get that same incentive to, to basically push themselves to, to make that turn. Um, to that other path, rather than the path they could end up going. So I want to thank you for that because that, that make it's a big deal. So well, if
2: anyone, if anyone too, if they're like they're out there struggling, they need some help or advice. Uh, I'm I'm most active on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Uh, DM me or whatever if you're just curious what I did or my methods. I'm you know I'm happy to keep it confidential or whatever, but I'm more than willing to to help people and get them on the right road. That's Timothy Dooner D O O N E R at Twitter
1: outstanding thank you so much for that also so i really appreciate you having on and uh that being said guys as always stay safe sage out